0: So I, I'll warn you, uh, the sermon at the nine o'clock kind of sucked, and um, I tried really hard, and it just didn't go very good. That's true. That's not like an illustration. This isn't like a great way to open. Um, in fact, like public speaking 101, I just like committed the cardinal sin, like, hey, this won't be good. I hope you can get through it. Um, uh, now, the, the 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 nine, it just, it, it wasn't there this morning. Not them, it was, it was me. And uh, so... But here's what I stand on this morning, okay? So my goal is not to be as bad as I was just an hour ago. Uh, my, my goal is to trust what God says about his word. And what he says about his word is that his word does all the heavy lifting and uh, that his word is what shapes hearts and his word is what changes lives and his word is what recreates new worlds. So if Dave Clayton says something today, that uh, offends you, you can send me an email, Aaron Etheridge, at ethoschurch.org. <laughs> or, um, or you can just chalk it up to human error and say, Lord, what were you trying to say to me despite that idiot you had up there preaching this morning, okay? So um, that's, that's the goal this morning, is to just let the Word of God do the heavy lifting. And uh, my, my goal is I, I want to give you something so simple you would have to pay someone to help you misunderstand it because... I believe the heart of what we're looking at is is so unbelievably important um, if if we can actually hear what it is. And so here's the big idea that I think Paul's trying to get at in the seven verses that we're looking at this morning. And so if you're taking notes or if you want to hold on to something, here's, here's the big idea that I think he's trying to get at. I think he's trying to tell us that sometimes our old ways of thinking when it comes to God keep us from the new life that Jesus is trying to bring us into. That our old way of thinking is so often our greatest hindrance for a new way of living. That sometimes we can enter into a new season, that we can come into a new reality, that we can step into a new moment, that you can be in the new and actually miss it because your head is still stuck in the old. And that old thinking is the greatest enemy in some ways of new living i remember kind of discovering this for the first time about 12 years ago when sydney and i got married you know any of you that are married you know what a big moment that is you're standing there at the altar you're holding hands with your soon-to-be spouse you're making promises that are so much bigger than you. I remember like standing there like holding Sydney's hand just thinking, "Man, she is so fine. Why is she with a guy like me?" And I'm saying things like for richer or poorer, till death do us part, in sickness and in health. You know, all these all these like big promises and, uh, and and then we kiss, and it was hot. It was amazing, you know. And our friends and our family, they're all there and celebrating, and we have a huge party. And I remember the, the next day, I get on the airplane, and we're, we're going to our honeymoon. And I, I remember this like it was yesterday. Looking down at my left hand and seeing the, this ring on my finger for the first time, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, what happened last night? Like, <laughs> like I'm a husband." <laughs> like what, what do husbands do like I know I'm going on vacation so maybe that's the first thing that husbands do is they go on vacation but I'm like what what does a husband do and I remember just being hit with this freight train of emotion and I wasn't doubting whether or not I should have married Sydney. I was just doubting my capability of being a husband and, and maybe some of you remember that feeling I'm like oh my like like, how is this gonna work? And I remember coming back from the honeymoon and the first couple of years of our marriage in so many ways was, was us working out just how little the two of us understood what it meant to step into this new reality. Like, we come back and that's the interesting thing about marriage is when you get married, instantly, boom, your status changes. You go from single to being married. You go from two individuals in the eyes of God to being people that have been connected mysteriously in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a a crazy thing. It is an instantaneous shift. And yet it is a lifelong struggle trying to figure out how do I bring uh, these two broken individuals into unity together. We began to discover that even though our status had changed, our thinking had not and so, even though I had a ring that said I was a married guy and a piece of paper that said I was a married guy, in a lot of ways I still thought like a single guy. The way that I saw my time and my energy and our holidays and our money, and I thought like an individual. You've heard me tell this story before. So often, those first couple of years of being married, Sydney would fall asleep at night. And I was a night owl before we got married. I'd stay up late, she'd always go to bed early. And so we got married and she would fall asleep and I would sneak out of bed quietly and I'd go skateboarding with my friends and I'd go hang out. And it's like, why did I do that? Well, I was an idiot, number one, but, but mostly because although my status had changed, my way of thinking had not. I, I, I was married, but in my mind, I still lived kind of like a single guy, if that makes sense. Or I, I remember learning this again when we had our first son almost seven years ago. And you know nothing can prepare you for both the joy and the just the, <laughs> the upheaval of life of of having your, your first child. And I remember well, Micah had just been born, and Sydney and I are trying to figure out life and how you you know order things now and how we put our schedule together. And I remember this one day so specifically, we're driving down the road, and we're talking about the week that's ahead, and uh, Sydney was still working at this point uh, outside of the home. And uh, she said, hey, Dave, on Friday on your day off, uh, I need you and Micah to do this, I need you to do this, I need this to happen, and she's just kinda giving me orders as any good wife will do, and she's telling me how this thing needs to work out. And I, I, I made the sigh, you know, husbands, you know the noise, right? It's, it's that noise you make when you're not courageous enough to tell your wife what you're thinking. So you make a noise in hopes that she'll ask you what you're thinking, and uh, you know, I'd made some noise, just like, oh, like, and she said, what's wrong, like, what's wrong with you? What did I say? And. And I, I said, I don't want to babysit on my days off. And she looked at me like some of you are looking at me right now, like Maddie Fowler's looking at me right now. She's like, excuse me? She said, you mean you don't want to be a father on your day off? She's like, Dave, it's not called babysitting when it's your baby. It's called being a father. You're, you're a dad. It's called fathering. Like You don't get to choose when you're a father and when you're not a father. And, and it's just one of those moments, the light bulb goes off, and I went, oh, my status had changed but my way of thinking hadn't. I was a father. My behavior did not indicate that I was thinking like a father yet, right? And you ever noticed that sometimes your life will change and it will take your brain a little while to catch up to it? That you'll enter into a new job, that you enter into a new season, that you come into a new school, you'll come into a new relationship, that things will change, and sometimes your reality outkicks your, your brain's ability to keep up with it. And I would argue that there is no area of your life in which this is more true than in your relationship with Jesus. See, the Bible says that when Christ comes in, things change instantly, boom. No longer are you a sinner, you are a saint. How many of you feel like saints? See, the Bible says you're not a sinner. The Bible says you're a saint in Jesus. It says that in Jesus, boom, instantly something changes, that you go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, to being spiritually cold towards the things of God, to being spiritually awakened to the things of God. The Bible says from death, I mean, instant, boom, 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 instant. But does the Christian life feel very instant to you? And here's one of the things that I think we all discover uh, along the way is that what Jesus does instantly, it takes your mind a long time to catch up to in reality. And Paul is gonna write this little letter to this church in this old city of Ephesus, real people, real time, real place. And he's gonna tell them, hey, listen, here's the deal. Jesus has really saved you, but your lives don't look very saved yet. And I just wanna speak that to some of you right now. Because there's a lot of you that have been saved by Jesus and your lives don't look very saved. Same addictions, same struggles, same worries, same fears, same hidden secrets you have buried so deep because you've been convinced if anyone finds out, the whole story's up, it's all over. Here is the scandal of the gospel or one of the many scandals is that Jesus in his grace and love and power and foreknowledge, is willing to save you instantly and then to patiently walk with you as long as it takes until you look like you're saved. And the moment we begin to confuse that reality, is the moment we begin to confuse what it is that Jesus is up to all along. Have you ever been in one of those moments where uh, you screw up and you do that thing you never thought you're gonna do again and then immediately you start questioning whether or not your salvation took? Like, like did Jesus really save me? Like, I was having a conversation with one of our brothers recently who became a follower of Jesus. About 10 days later, I said, hey, how you doing? He said, terrible. That was, not, I don't know what I was expecting. I was not expecting that honest of a response. He said, this whole salvation thing is horrible. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, we won't use you for a testimony. Like, 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 what do you mean it's been terrible? And he said, I think I'm a worse person now than I was 10 days ago. Have you ever felt that before? And he started to doubt whether or not what Jesus had done had actually happened. And I thought, no, let me explain to you. Yeah, you're saved. And now you have become painfully aware of just how unlike your life looks to Jesus. Just how much your, Jesus, your life does not yet look like Jesus's life. And Paul is speaking to this church here in Ephesians chapter four, and I think here's a simple message. He's saying, you are saved, but you don't look like it yet. And the reason you don't look like it yet is because your old ways of thinking about Jesus have smuggled their way into this new season of life. And your old ways of thinking are keeping you from new ways of living. And I don't know if anyone's ever told you that before, but it is possible for your old ways of thinking to rob you of the joy in this new season of life that Jesus has already freely given you for those of you that are in Jesus Christ. And so this is how he's gonna say it. He's gonna use some really provocative language. And let me just go ahead and say it this way. None of you are gonna put this verse on a coffee mug or a T-shirt or a calendar at work. But I think it's gonna encourage you deeply when you begin to understand what it is that he says. Verse 17, he says, so I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do or live as those in the world do who in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding, they're separated from their life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Welcome to church this morning. How encouraging is, is that, right? Verse 20, he keeps going. He says, but that, however... It's not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Jesus and when you were taught in Jesus in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your what? What's it say there? To be made new in the attitude of your? Say it with me. The attitude of your? Try it again. Your? minds. Your minds to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, there's so much we could unpack here in this, but I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. I want you to hear exactly what it is that I believe he's saying, and why it is that I think it matters very, very deeply in the context of your real life right here and right now. Paul's gonna say, listen, Jesus has saved you, but your life doesn't look very saved because you've smuggled this old way of thinking about Jesus into this new season of life. And this old way of thinking is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of this new way of living. And he goes back and forth and he talks about this. He kind of compares and contrasts. He says, there's your old self that was produced by this old way of thinking. And he says this old way of thinking, verse 17 and 18. This old way of thinking was marked by the futility of your mind The darkening of your thoughts and the ignorance of your heart. Now, no one ever gave Paul a crash course on how to sweeten up a crowd. Like, he never said, hey, Paul, you're not supposed to use language like this. But you have to understand, Paul was not just trying to be provocative and offensive. He is using language 2,000 years ago that in some ways has a totally different meaning here now. The word ignorant that he uses in verse 18, it doesn't mean stupid Like, if I was to walk up and say, hey, Hubie, you're so ignorant. Like, Hubie would think that I'm a jerk and that I'm calling him stupid. But during the days that this letter to the Ephesians was written, that's not what it meant. Ignorance was not synonymous with stupidity. Ignorance was just a way of saying that this person has not yet come in contact with this new knowledge. Ignorance was not a way of putting somebody down. Ignorance was not a a way of breaking someone's psyche. It was just a way of saying, this person has not yet come into contact with this new way of seeing things. It's the reason he says, hey, before you knew Jesus, your old self was dominated with this reality that you had not yet come in contact with the realness and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And because you hadn't come in contact with how great God was, You lived your life in a sense of darkness. Now, when we think of that word darkness, it just like immediately takes you like Harry Potter and sorcery and weirdness and like just uh, inherent evil, doesn't it? But I think the word here means so much more than that. It certainly applies to that sort of darkness. But I think what Paul is saying is he says there's this season in your life before you met Jesus where your heart and mind had not come in contact with the love and the grace and the mercy and the beauty of who God was. And because of that, your life was like groping around in the darkness, trying to find where is it that you get meaning from. He says, this was your old self. he says, and because your heart and mind had not been illuminated to the goodness of God yet, he says, you were like someone moving through a dark house, trying to figure out where in the world do I attach meaning in life? Look back at this in verse, I think it's verse 19. He says, and then losing all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality. In other words, Paul says, when you have no understanding of how great and real and close God is, your heart and mind are darkened to his goodness. He says, so the only natural response of your life is to give yourself over to your senses. I just want you to think about this for a second. Because I go, isn't that true of all human beings before they know Jesus? Wasn't that true of you? Like that's true of me, like for sure. And Paul is saying not only is it true of you before you gave yourself to Jesus, for some of you it's still true of you. Like you've been saved by Jesus, but you're still living with a darkened understanding of just how big and how gracious and how amazing he is. And so you're still making decisions the way that you made decisions before you were saved. And the way you made decisions before you were saved was you just constantly chased after your heart's desires. You just constantly chased after your own senses. And so for some of you, it was sex sexuality is the best thing in the human experience, you were convinced of that. And before your eyes were opened to the beauty of Jesus, you chased after it and you chased after it and you chased after it. Some of you were convinced that power or relationships or notoriety or whatever it was, is the most significant thing in the human experience. And you longed for it, it were your desires and you chased after it over and over and over and over. And Paul says, He says, when you do this, verse 23, he says, what you experienced before Jesus came into the picture was just how deceiving your desires can be. Now, I want you to notice this. Does Paul say that our desires are evil? Does he say that, oh man, your human desires are wicked? No, he doesn't say that. He says your unredeemed human desires are tricky though. Have you ever chased something with your heart only to discover it wasn't what your heart wanted? And then you got there and thought, I thought this is what I wanted. Did I, did I perceive wrong? No, you didn't perceive wrong. You just chased an unredeemed desire. And Paul says, that's the old way of life. He said, it's the old way of thinking. The, the old way of thinking is, is that if it feels good, try it. If it makes sense, it, it's good, If it's true to me, it must be true to everybody. And I'll I'll chase it and I'll go after it. And he says, that's the old way of thinking. And that old way of thinking produced a very predictable way of living. And that was a way that looked very similar to the world. And Paul looks out at his church, and I think he's looking out at our church, and he says, hey, listen, a lot of you are saved and your lives don't yet look like it. He says, because you've smuggled this old way of thinking into this brand new reality. The light bulb hasn't gone on to let you know that you're a husband yet, or a father yet, or whatever your metaphor is yet. And your behavior is letting me know that Jesus is still not yet big enough to you. I was thinking about that earlier this week. I was having a conversation with a woman that I just met. She owns a cigar shop here in the city. uh, And uh, she and I were just talking about faith. Just brilliant, kind, amazing woman. And uh, I started asking her about her walk with Jesus. Hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know anything about Jesus? <laughs> do you love Jesus? And she said, no, I grew up in an atheist home. And she said, I've only been in church one time my whole life. It's it for a wedding. And she said, I'm convinced there's no God. And uh, she said, but here's what I try to do with my life. And, and she's trying to explain it to me. Here's how I serve people. Here's how I love people. And I remember I was just sitting there talking to her. And I thought, man, this woman is so brilliant. She, she's so sharp and And such a good, kind person. And yet God yet hasn't flipped on the light switch. Like his realness has not yet been illuminated in her heart. His goodness has not yet been illuminated in her heart. And so in the same breath that she would talk to me about some of the good things she was doing, she would also talk to me about some of the things that quite honestly I think are a bit shameful and embarrassing. And she just kind of laid out there. Just kind of say it here we go. And as we were talking, I thought, man, her story and my story are so similar, even though we grew up in totally different worlds. She grew up in an atheist home. I grew up in a home where my dad's a pastor. But you know the deal is until I came to Jesus, my heart was just as darkened to the bigness of Jesus as my new friend's heart is darkened to the bigness of Jesus. The only difference between her life and my former life is that when you grow up in a non-religious world, you can celebrate your worldliness. When you grow up in the church, you're taught to hide it and to manage it and to make sure certain groups of friends never found out about it. You know that game, right? Like some of you have been there, and Paul says, listen, this, this happens when the old way of thinking smuggles its way into this new season of living. Verse 20, look back at verse 20. He says, but you, however... He says, you, however, were not taught that. You weren't taught to to just be comfortable with the old ways of living. He says, you, however, weren't taught to just pray a prayer and get in a tub of water and then just live the way that you were living until you die, hoping that one day Jesus saves you. He says, that's not what you were taught when you were taught Christ. He says, what you were taught when you were taught Christ is that Jesus doesn't just want your eternity, Jesus wants today. That Jesus doesn't just want your future, he wants every moment. That Jesus doesn't just want a part of your life, he doesn't want just an hour of your Sunday, he doesn't want just a little space of your finances or a little piece of your relationship. No, Jesus wants the entirety of who you are. He says, that's what you were taught. He says, but a lot of you have smuggled in old ways of thinking to this new reality and it's keeping you from joy. He never says, it's robbed you of salvation. He says, no, it's robbing you of all the joy that comes when you start arranging your thought process around what it is that Jesus has already done. Does that make sense? Shake your head if you're, if you're tracking with me this morning. It's so important, it's so important, and this is a progressive revelation. And here's what I mean by that. You know, 20 years ago I gave my life to Jesus, almost 20 years ago. And I remember giving my life to Jesus, and 16 years old, and it's like, okay, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And the truth is, I knew so little, a lot like when I was standing at the altar of Sydney, like I knew so little about what it was that I was signing up for when I got into this relationship with Jesus. And the truth is, for a lot of my life and a lot of my experience, what I really thought was that I was inviting Jesus into my heart, that Jesus was coming in almost like a visitor. You know, have you ever, ever had a visitor come over to your house? come stay at your apartment, come crash in your dorm room, wherever it is that you live. And you know, a visitor comes in and if you're from the South, you show them around and then one of the things that you'll say is make yourself at, do any of us actually mean that? No, not really. You kind of mean it, but you're all liars. Like, we don't mean to be liars. We're just Southerners and we lie about everything. Like, when somebody comes over to visit your house, do you really want them to tear up your carpet and replace it with new floors? <laughs> Would you expect them to like repaint the wall? Like, what are you doing? Why are you repainting the bedroom? You said make myself at home and I hate the color. <laughs> you never do that. What do you mean? You mean, hey, come into my space, cohabitate in my space on my terms and my words. That's really honestly how my relationship with Jesus started. I thought he was interested in a visitation I kept growing in my walk with Jesus and realized, no, he doesn't want a visitation. I think he wants to live here. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, Jesus, here's your room. (laughs) You want to be roommates? Like, here's this space of my heart. Here's this portion of my time. Here's this portion of my energy. Hey, do you want to be roommates? And then over time, I realized not only did Jesus not want to be a visitor, he didn't want to be a roommate because he's not interested in visitation. He wants habitation, And all of a sudden he shows up and he has a big pile of metaphorical cash and he says, I'm not here to visit. I'm not even here to crash. I want the whole house. I want this to be my house and I'm gonna knock down the walls and I'm gonna tear out the carpet and we're gonna repaint the living room and we're gonna get into that closet and we're gonna go down into the basement that you've been avoiding since your childhood. We're going down into all of the places that you think you don't want to go and here's the deal. I want to be the Lord of it all. And Jesus isn't interested in part of you. He's not interested in part of our affection. Not a visitation, but a habitation. But the truth is, our old way of thinking about Jesus often creeps into this new season of living. And a lot of you, whether you grew up like my atheist friend or you grew up like I did in a church, a lot of us have never stopped to ask the question, hey, Lord, what are the old habits of thinking that are keeping me from this new way of living? A lot of us have never slowed down to say, okay, Lord, what old views of you have I smuggled into this new future? And how does my old pattern of thinking help me make sense of my current way of living? Because Paul's gonna say, listen, you've been saved, your life doesn't look very saved, and the reason it doesn't look very saved is because the old thinking is choking out the new life that Jesus wants. To give you. And here's the, the, the joy of this to me. Because in some ways, it's kind of a hard conversation, right? Like, you go, oh, what do we do with this? And I go, did you notice never once in the whole text did Paul appeal to their willpower? <laughs> like, he didn't look at him and go, uh, You've been saved by Jesus, try harder. <laughs> like, you've been saved by Jesus, be more disciplined. You've been saved by Jesus. <laughs> He never appeals to their willpower. He appeals to their identity. He says, you are saved. Your behavior doesn't look very saved, but you are saved. Now lean into who you are so that everything else will follow suit. Driving in the car with Sydney, and she says, Dave, you are a father, not acting like one. Don't seem like one, but you are a dad. Let's live like it. And I think some of us just need to be reminded of the truest thing about us. And the truest thing about us is not how old or young or rich or poor or white or black or male or female, how smart or less than smart you are. That's not the truest thing about you. For many of you who are in in Christ, the truest thing about you is that you are sons and daughters of God Most High. For those of you who aren't in Christ, the truest thing about you is that God loved you enough to send Jesus so that you could be a part of this dysfunctional mess we call a church as well. And Paul says, it's time to start being who you are. I love it. It's what he alludes to back in verse 17. Look at this. He says, I insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. You no longer live as the world does. And that's kind of a confusing statement. I guarantee you there's at least one person in that Ephesian church that went, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what does that mean? You know why? Because Paul was writing to a group of people who were ethnically Gentile. they become followers of Jesus, but being followers of Jesus hadn't changed their ethnicity. And so Paul makes this confusing statement. He says, hey, don't live like Gentiles anymore. I think in today's context, I think you'd say, hey, you're followers of Jesus, so don't live like Americans anymore. And we'd go, but wait a minute, Paul, we're still American. Should we? Yes, you're still American, but that's not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is that your citizenship is now in heaven that you're loved by God, that you are saved by God, and that you're in the process of being made new like God, and one day you will see God face to face for all of eternity. That's the truest thing about you. So don't live the way you used to live. But you can never step into a new way of living until you consistently put off the old way of thinking. You're not gonna get in better shape until you change the way you think about food and the way you think about carbs and the way you think about working out. Like in order to experience a new way of living, you have to have what? A new way of thinking. So what Jesus said in Mark chapter one when he starts his ministry. He says, he says hey, r- repent for the kingdom of God is near. In the original language, it literally meant change your way of thinking because the kingdom of heaven has come near you. That's the way Jesus started his earthly ministry. He says, listen, God is not far off. He's not somewhere distant. He's not just in the future. He says, change the way you think. The kingdom of heaven is so close, you can what? Touch it. So close. But in order to step into that new way of life, you have to put off the old way of thinking. And all throughout this text, Paul over and over and over says, take off the old, put on the new. Take off the old way of thinking, put on the new. Because he knows how easy it is He knows how easy it is to be saved by Jesus, but to never experience the joy of that salvation because of an old way of thinking. So how in the world do you do this, okay? How do you do this? So I just wanna give you two, I think, very simple things to try that are right here in the text. Number one, you keep listening to the the voice and the words of Jesus. You keep listening. It's what he says in verse 20 and 21 over and over and over. He says, remember as you were taught in Jesus. He says, you however, this is not what you were taught in Jesus. When you heard about Jesus, when you learned Jesus. He says, one of the ways that you uh, begin to align your mind with what it is that God has already done in your life is you keep listening to the words of Jesus. you know why? Because the world will consistently try to convince you that your behavior is what defines you, as opposed to Jesus' work on your behalf being your most defining characteristic. And the world is just going to come at you everything you hear, everything you see, everything you feel. And I don't mean this to be harsh, but if the American church treated food the way the American church treats the Word of God, the American church would be starved to death. See, a lot of Christians, we spend no time with the word of Jesus. Here, here, here's three minutes in the morning, Lord, and then I'm gonna give the next 16 hours to podcasts and radios and water cooler conversations and newspapers and, and man, just the intake. No wonder the old way of thinking dies such a slow death. He says, listen, listen to the words of Jesus, just like you did when you were taught. But he didn't stop with listening. He says, you have to step into living. Because anytime there's listening without living, what you end up with is people who are spiritually obese. People that gorge themselves on spiritual knowledge, but never exercise that knowledge in the context of their life, and eventually they can no longer move. I love this. Look at the end of verse 24. He says, to put on your new self created to be like God in righteousness and in holiness. He says, in other words, listen, the aim of the Christian life is not to just sit around and learn new facts about God and think new things about God and increase your understanding of God. He says, no, the ultimate aim of the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the help of Jesus himself is to begin living like God. To love like he loves, to serve like he serves, to lay down your life like he lays down his life. And the essence of Christianity is imitation of God. We'll actually look at that next week in Ephesians 5, verse one, where he says, be imitators of God. He says, if you wanna take off the old and put on the new, he says, you listen to the words of Jesus and you live them out in the context of a community like this. You know, for the the last four years, uh, one of my good friends, he and I meet together every single week. It's a guy that I've been discipling and now we're in this discipling relationship together, trying to live more like Jesus and every week we get together and we essentially just ask each other three questions. And it's our way of trying to listen to the words of Jesus and live them out so that day by day we can take off the old way of thinking and put on the new. I love this because the three questions we ask each other every time when we get together, number one is what did Jesus tell you this week in his word? And there's some times where I'll sit down with Cyrus and I'll say, I don't know that I heard much this week because honestly, brother, I wasn't in the word very much. And it's just this commitment. We ask that question, and it's just this reminder to keep listening to the words of Jesus. So the first question we always ask is, what did Jesus tell you through his word this week? The second question is, what do you plan to do in response to what he told you? Like, how do you plan to live this out? Because he and I have no interest in getting together every single week to just nourish each other's intellect. We want to live like Jesus lived. What did Jesus tell you this week? How are you gonna live it out? And the third question is, as your brother, how can I help you do it? And I go, isn't that church right there? Like, I'm convinced that this is why we do this, that you're not here because you love how comfortable these plastic chairs are. Like, that you're here because you want to know what Jesus has in store for your life. And you wanna be more like Jesus. And you know that somewhere deep down, you need us to help you get there. And we need each other. And what a joy it is when we begin to recognize that reality. And so this this morning, I want to ask a simple question and for us to think about it as we go to communion. And that is, what, what old ways of thinking in regards to Jesus are keeping you from stepping into a new way of living with Jesus? What old ways of thinking about Jesus are keeping you from stepping into a new way of living with Jesus. And I want to encourage you, as you break the bread and as you take the cup, to really talk about that, to open up your hearts and go, man, this is it. This old way of thinking has kind of caused me to put God in this little box, and uh, I've treated Him way more like a visitor or a roommate than the owner of the house. And to confess that, you know, for some of you, you're not Christians, and I I just want to encourage you. What are your current views about Jesus keeping you from in regards to Jesus. And if you didn't hear anything else this morning, I hope you heard me say this, is that before I knew Jesus, I was just like you in so many ways. And it's only the grace of Jesus that there's been any bit of change whatsoever. And that because Jesus is so good and so amazing, he's inviting you to come be a part of this journey and this mess with the rest of us. It's an open invitation but it's gonna require you to change the way you think about Jesus. Let's stand together, I wanna pray over you. We'll take communion together, and we'll continue in a time of worship. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of these people. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is here among us. Father, would you help us to recognize the old ways of thinking, that are keeping us from new ways of living in your kingdom with your son, Jesus. And God, would you just illuminate that however you want to do that. Lord, I pray that you would remove all of the traps of shame and guilt and condemnation, and that, Lord, you would fortify our identity in you for the sake of your name. It's in your name I pray. Amen.